This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Ego, nothing personal, word of the day. Good morning, it is Wednesday, January 18th, 2023. Word of the day is ego. As in the new Arizona Cardinals GM announcing to the world that ego will not be tolerated in this organization. I wanted to have a conversation with you about ego and the importance of ego in an organization and how foolish he sounds, given that ego was manifested very clearly on the Pat McAfee show by Aaron Rodgers. Ego is a part of Tom Brady, it's a part of Bill Belichick, it's a part of LeBron James. Every story we talk about, from owners down to presidents and players, ego is one of the most important parts of a person's personality. Controlling your ego is difficult especially when you've got people around you since you were young telling you that you do nothing wrong, that you're allowed to do anything you want, and you get everything you want because you have a certain level of talent in a certain discipline. People get very confused by associating ego with negative thoughts or negative actions or negative results. When you're putting a team together, you've got to find the right balance of ego is what we would describe. We've got to find players who understand that they are the best at what they do, but also understand they're part of a team, who understand that occasionally subjugating your ego is going to be necessary to win a team game. For individual sports, there's absolutely no subjugation required. You don't need Rafael Nadal to have no ego or a smaller ego. By the way, he lost last night in the Australian Open while you were sleeping. That'll be pretty good for Breakpoint on Netflix, won't it? Talking about him losing the 23 Australian Open. But when you are putting a team together, you consider these things. You look at character traits. Now, we don't do the Theo Epstein eight-hour interview with managers or talk about giving players IQ tests. We get to know a player. We talk to families. We talk to teammates. And we try to understand what this player will be like both on the field and off the field because we can evaluate on the field. But until you know a player and live with a player, you don't really know what they're like off the field. And so when you're signing free agents, when you're deciding whether you wanna re-sign your own or reallocate the money to others, and this is what GMs do every day, 
as they're putting their teams together, figuring out where they're going to allocate their resources. Aaron Rodgers has such an interesting point of view as it relates to this. He talked yesterday about his desire not to rebuild, but to reload. And he talked about that he can win MVP again. He talked about in the right situation, he is still amongst the best. That screamed ego to me. Tom Brady telling you that he still has the ability once he tells you to perform. When the Dolphins are thinking, I'm gonna sign Tom Brady, we're gonna bring him in and he's gonna be a better choice for us than Tua to win our first playoff game this century. That's really all about ego. So let me ask you this, as you evaluate yourself and think about your heroes, think about your players, is it a negative for you when you see a player being delusional or when you think about what a player is doing or saying and you disagree with that? Or what about at your own workplace with your boss or with your significant other or with your family member? Do you say to yourself, wow, that guy's egomaniacal? Egomaniacal, right, is on the, I shouldn't say right, that's a verbal tick, Coca, that I've been starting. That's like saying, to be honest, which you never say because it means you're never being honest. But egomaniacism is when someone is delusional. Delusional is when they have an idea that something is correct when it's not correct because they think it's correct because they are telling you from their perspective what they believe to be correct with the inability to look at the real situation or from other people's perspective. So Aaron Rodgers talking to you about Jordan Love as an example, telling you that Jordan Love playing means that the Packers are not trying to win or that they are then rebuilding and not retooling. Him telling you that, hey, if they want to go younger, that's totally up to them. I find that to be funny because does he know for sure sitting there that Jordan Love gives the Packers less a chance to win than Aaron Rodgers is that what you think the GM in Green Bay is doing? When you've got a sport that has a salary cap and a salary floor, and you've got pretty much a smaller bandwidth between the lowest and the highest payroll, which isn't necessarily true given where the Bears are, let's say, versus a team like the Buccaneers. But in any case, do you believe that the Packers are in any way going to go through a stretch post Aaron Rodgers where they will say, we are going to rebuild, we are not going to try to win, therefore we don't need Aaron Rodgers back. Or do you think the evaluation is that Aaron Rodgers does not have the capability to, along with who's on the Packers, to get them where they wanna be, where they've been? Why is that an incorrect assumption? Did Aaron Rodgers not throw for 300 yards in one game this year because he didn't have enough receivers because his offensive line wasn't good enough? Or maybe Father Time's winning that match. So I was thinking about all of these people and their ego, and we were talking about the Arizona Cardinals and the irony of a new GM coming in and saying, ego has, is not tolerating this organization. They were held hostage by a quarterback with an oversized ego. And then they acquiesced, I'm talking about Kyler Murray, then they acquiesced to his really demands and look where they are. They're without a coach. How do you stop yourself from giving in to someone's ego? And how do you evaluate whether or not their ego is actually going to help your team win? That's the hard part. 
So we would sit down in meetings. I got a story for you. Side note, Coca, totally different. I want to go back and tell you a story about a meeting that we had when we were uh, trying to decide what we were going to do when the stadium was opening. This is 10 years ago. We were looking at different free agents. We were looking at Jose Reyes, and we had identified Jose Reyes to be the player who we wanted to get, went after him right at midnight, the first day you can talk to free agents, had a meeting with him at a bar in a hotel in New York. Our owner walked in wearing a Marlins Reyes jersey under his overcoat, and we knew immediately, because we had tampered and knew in advance how many years Reyes would need and what number we'd have to get to. And so we knew we were gonna have a deal. But we wanted to meet with Reyes and see if we could measure what his relationship would be with the Hanley Ramirez and what it would be coming to Miami, whether he'd be distracted by being in Miami or being on a team where there were other players who were potentially the stars. And so we're talking to Jose and you look at him and what you're doing is you're evaluating him as he talks. You're evaluating what he says. You're not paying attention to the agent. You're not paying attention to anything other than looking in his eyes. And the eye test is one of the great equalizers when it comes to the ego test. And the reason I equate the eye test and the ego test is you can tell somebody's ego by what they're doing with their eyes when they're talking to you, how self-assured they are. What they're saying, do they mean? Are people shifty with their eyes? Are they looking away? Are they looking at you? Are they looking up? Do they have a hard time focusing, not ADHD, just in terms of belief in what they're saying? Are they talking with their eyes closed? Have you ever seen someone do that? This is a good one, Coca. There are people who go like this when they're talking and they do long blinks. And that means that they're not exactly sure what they're saying. They don't believe what they're saying. When people talk to you with open eyes, they're trying to tell you to believe what they're saying because they know it to be true, whether it's true or not. So the eye test is something we looked at. Jose Reyes had this presence when he walked in the room. And then when he sat down and spoke to us, he had this, he captured the room and he captured the table. And capturing the room and the table can be very difficult without an oversized ego. And he was this humble superstar and we couldn't have been happier to have him until it didn't work. And then we had to trade him. What about the relationship of money and ego? Do you like that one? Do you feel like you can be poor and have an ego? I do. If you're self-assured and delusional, you can have an ego. Right, you can believe something to be true that's not. You can live on credit. You can drive around in a borrowed Ferrari that you're absolutely on payment plans, live in a house that's too big, try to keep up with the Joneses because you feel as though you want people to believe you're something you're not. That's just ego. What about owners? We spend so many segments on Nothing Personal talking to you about the ego of owners. The ego of wealthy people who own toys, toys that are sought after by everybody, toys where you walk into a room, everyone wants to be you until they know you and then realize they don't wanna be you. That must be hard to live with, right? Being in, being in a, there's right again. Can you, we're gonna do a dollar again. I don't say any more we when it comes to Major League Baseball. That used to be a dollar last year on Nothing Personal. Coco, we're gonna do a jar and we're gonna do a coffee bean in the jar meaning a dollar every time I say right. 
because when I'm saying right, when I'm it's such a verbal tick because I want you to believe that what I'm saying is correct. Therefore, I want you to agree with me. So I say right. It totally makes no sense. I don't really need you to agree with me. I actually want you not to agree with me in most cases because I want you to at least think about what we're talking about. So owners and their egos, how do you not when no matter where you are, you are the room. You suck the oxygen out of every room. But ego, don't mistake that with racism. Don't mistake ego with misogyny. Robert Sarver is not selling the Phoenix Suns because his ego ran amok. Daniel Snyder is not selling the Washington Commanders because his ego ran amok. They have to sell because of their behavior. Ego and bad behavior do not necessarily go hand in hand. It's not a direct correlation. You cannot excuse your behavior by saying, hey, he's just got a big ego. An ego can be a very positive thing. An ego can lead to self-assuredness. It can lead to performance on and off the court. I have a very big ego. My ego is fed from you. My ego is not fed because I was the president of a team or because I had a business in Europe or Wall Street, none of that. That's just what I did, not who I am. My ego is fed because we have conversations every day for 45 minutes. We talk about subjects that interest you and then you interact with me, whether it's on Twitter, David P. Sampson, or wherever you find me on the streets. And it feels as, it feels good to me. So ego is something that I engage in, I feed by doing public shows, by doing radio shows, by being in rooms where there's conversations happening about interesting subjects. Ego does not have to be misogyny or, what are, can you imagine Robert Sarver dismissing his behaviors because he had a big ego or his team president or his family or his GM dismissing his behavior because of ego? That drives me absolutely crazy. Ego is fed by social media, there's no doubt, but it's what we talked about with Ambien. You don't become a racist because you take Ambien. You take Ambien and then you let out your racist proclivities. It's the same, we all count likes and we all get the dopamine rush. There's movies about this, there's books about this, about social media, about what it's doing to all of us in terms of our ego, how it's negatively feeding our ego. I happen to disagree. Ego is when you pay for followers. Ego is when you know you have bots and you encourage bots because you want to have a big number next to your name. Ego is not sharing what you do during the course of a day or pretending that you're happy when you're not, pretending you're traveling when you're not, pretending that you have an opinion on something when you don't, pretending you know what you're talking about when you may not. That's not ego. That's just misdirection. Misdirection is when I want you to think about something that isn't accurate. It's almost like lying. So the reason we put ego as the word of the day is that if you don't control somebody's ego by having it siphoned into team performance and into being a member of a winning team, you end up with a team where you cannot win. 
You cannot win with a team of players without ego. And the owner of the Arizona Cardinals better find a GM who understands that. The owner of the Green Bay Packers better make a decision about, it's not an owner, it's a group of people. Sorry, cut that, ready? 4869. The Green Bay Packers front office better decide how they want to deal with Aaron Rodgers before that story gets out of hand this offseason like it did last offseason. Same with the Buccaneers. Find the players who help you win the games. Figure out a way to package that ego into performance. Ego. Word of the day. The way that the NFL is arranged right now is that you've got players, when they are drafted in the first round, you're allowed to sign them to a four-year rookie deal. There's a fifth-year team option that comes with all of these deals. When players are done with their third year, a lot of teams are talking about, do we extend the player? Do we let the player go to year to year? And then after the fifth year, you can actually franchise tag your player and you can franchise tag your player a second time, which means a player could actually, like Lamar Jackson, could spend seven years on the team before he becomes a free agent. The team president, Mike Brown of the Cincinnati Bengals, has a team in the playoffs right now. They have a huge game coming up this weekend against the Buffalo Bills. Of course, it's huge. If they win, they go to the AFC Championship with a chance to return to the Super Bowl, beating a team that is supposed to be the best in football, that if they play the way they played against the Dolphins, will not beat the Bengals. When you are in between games in football, when you are in the middle of a playoff run in October in baseball. There's a pretty simple rule when you are running a team. Do not talk about player contract situations. It is a distraction that is not necessary. It's a distraction to the player, it's a distraction to the coaching staff, and it's a distraction then to the team. Why is it that Brown was talking about the Joe Burrow situation? What would be the upside? He was talking about his view of Joe Burrow having a long career and we want it to be here. His window of winning is going to extend throughout his career. But then he talked about this. And this was in a pregame interview, might I add, which is insane. Before a game. I did a lot of interviews in my time. Any pregame interview I did would be about something that was going on off the field. If we had a business problem, if the roof was broken, if we had a situation going on with a player in terms of health or availability, but never would I go on the air, nor would we have our GM or president of baseball ops go on the air to talk about a player's contract situation ever. So anyway, he said, there is the fact that when you don't have to pay the quarterback an extraordinary amount, that leaves room to pay other players more, and therefore you can keep more players that are good players. He meant two, but he said that. Joe Burrow's agent and Joe Burrow listened to that. It didn't impact how he played. There's no question about that. But that said, the player hears that because what you don't realize is while players don't listen to pregame shows, Players have agents and families who listen to pregame shows on Google Alert, and they actually go and tell the player. They tell the player what was said. 
So was he actually saying that he doesn't want to pay Joe Burrow? Or was he saying that he would pay Joe Burrow but doesn't want to overpay Joe Burrow because then they can't surround him with the type of players who make Joe Burrow a winner? You can't pay Joe Burrow and also pay Chase, can you? Yeah. You can decide what you want to do with your team, allocate your cap accordingly. Or you can decide that you're going to have a mediocre quarterback or keep going with a young quarterback or draft a quarterback every few years and don't ever sign a free agent. All of these are normal decisions, but why now? What causes a team president to talk about this? And the answer, sadly, is fear. You've got a situation where you've got a franchise player and you're concerned that you're not going to be able to keep that franchise player. You want to start having your market. You want to start having your fan base, your sponsors understand there's going to be LAB. There's going to be life after Burrow. It's like the Packers telling you there's going to be life after Rodgers. I don't think they expected Jordan Love to be on the bench for three years, but in any case, when you are preparing your fan base for a change in how you are going to run your team, you only need to do that when you're winning. When you are losing, What's the difference? Your fan base and sponsors say, we want you to win. We don't care if you get rid of the best player on the team, find a different combination, find a way. Wouldn't that be amazing? But it's not true. Fans and media don't ever want popular players to go away, even when your team loses. How else would you explain the number of people who want to keep players on a team when that team doesn't win 81 games or that team doesn't make the playoffs in the NFL, but man, you got to keep them but we're not winning. Do you want a winner? Do you want the player? And when teams are winning, they're fine with whoever it is. When teams are losing, they wanna make sure they stay with the popular players. It drives me completely insane. The Cincinnati Bengals are winning games. If Joe Burrow is the reason they're winning games, you're gonna find a way to extend Joe Burrow, but you don't need to talk about it. Do you think that you're potentially negotiating with his agent by giving the pregame show talk about the allocation of money? You think agents give a flying rat's pituitary gland about whether or not someone else is getting paid more? Oh, yes, they do. They say we took less money so they can surround us with better players. We got to make sure there's enough money for everybody. It's the biggest crock of all time. James Harden of the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, I signed a below market deal because I want to make sure that we can keep everyone and keep the process going to a title. Horse hockey. That's not what James Harden was doing. So let me give you a way to see. I'm going to give you a way to see about Joe Burrow. And I'm going to tell you how the team president could have given you this way to see by answering the question in a totally different way. The wait to see is when we tell you something's gonna happen. If it does, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But we're not gonna be like the other shows. We're gonna actually revisit when we're wrong. Joe Burrow is going to get extended this off season. And here's part two of the wait to see that if I get wrong, I'm still taking credit for the yes on the wait to see. He's gonna get more than Kyler Murray, guaranteed. The guaranteed portion will be more than Kyler Murray because Joe Burrow is a better quarterback and a winning quarterback where Kyler Murray is an ego-driven, not winning quarterback. What has he done exactly? So if you know that you are going to offer Joe Burrow an extension, when you get 
on the radio to the extent you want to give an interview about this, which you shouldn't, as we said. But if you really have to, I can't imagine why you'd have to. You'd get on and when asked the question about Joe Burrow, you would say, we are so lucky to have Joe Burrow on this team and want Joe Burrow to be a Bengal for the length of his career. Because with Joe Burrow, we believe that we have the best chance to continually compete to win Super Bowls. All of that said, when this season is over, when the time is appropriate, we'll sit down with Joe and his representatives and talk through what our view is and what it looks like to have Joe Burrow as a lifetime Bengal. And we are hopeful that he shares the same view. I'm emphasizing the last part of that sentence because I want my fan base and I want my sponsors to know that if he doesn't sign the extension, it's because of him, not because of me. So I am going to make sure that players are the ones in the spotlight when they turn down money, when they turn down contracts, when they don't wanna play for me, for us, for you, for your city, for our city, that it has nothing to do with how we value it or money that we wanna spend, even when that's not true. The line, the misdirection, that's all part of the job of what I used to do as team president, what's all team presidents do, because we want you to think the way we want you to think. It's total ego. All right, we'll be right back. We're gonna review a movie and uh, a, a mini series, and then we're gonna talk about a few things going on in baseball, and I can't go another show without talking about Scott Boris. You won't believe what he said this time. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Coca, there's no way that anyone will believe us. And my question for you is, did you know what commercial was just gonna run there? Were you aware that was a Joe Burrow promotion from CBS, the Joe Burrow game against, uh, against the Bills? You did know that? But you never even told me before the show started. Coca's in my right ear right now, so I'm talking to him and he's writing stuff and talking to me. He had Joe Burrow being talked about right before the break, but didn't say, by the way, go into the break talking about Joe Burrow because then you're gonna see his face in a commercial. That was funny. I'm glad you knew that, I did not. All right, documentary again given to me by one of you. It was called Inside Man with Stanley Tucci. It's a four part documentary. Uh, let me start that again. Are we live? Three, six, nine. I watched a mini series called Inside Man. It's a four part movie starring Stanley Tucci. It is not the Clive Owen, Denzel Washington, Jodie Foster, Spike Lee joint. That is incredible. We haven't reviewed on this show, I do not believe, but you should watch. But this is called Inside Man. It's about a guy, Stanley Tucci, on death row who somehow gets all of these cases given to him by the warden and by investigators and reporters everywhere because he is a criminologist. He is like a forensic psychologist. Somehow he figures out how to solve crimes and he is 10 steps ahead of the authorities, 10 steps ahead of even the criminal himself or herself or themselves. It seems like an ordinary plot. 
except it's Stanley Tucci, who hasn't done anything ordinary, including Devil Wears Prada. There is nothing ordinary about Stanley Tucci. I have not watched his uh, reality show on CNN. Have you, Matt, the, uh, the traveling show or a food show or something Italy related? Stanley Tucci is one talented man. This is a bizarre crime movie where somehow something going on across the pond is being dealt with by a guy in death row in the United States. And the way they mix is fascinating. It went by in one sitting. It's a one sitting uh, miniseries. You may want to check it out. It's called Inside Man. All right. We got two baseball things to talk about. We're going to get to Boris. But first, somebody had a question for me. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get in Twitter at David P. Samson. Hit follow. I don't care what your view is of Elon. Just get in there and DM, ask a question. I may get to it. I may not. Good evening, David. I'm not sure it matters to me what time of day you sent this, but thank you very much. Good evening, but it's morning for me. Question. The Reds' ownership recently said the number of teams out of playoff contention before opening day has increased again. Is this bad for baseball? How does MLB fix this? As a fan, I hate this more than anything. Can I get an amen? Thank you for asking that question. Phil Castellini, he uh, finds his way into the news. Talk about ego and team presidents and not understanding what the relevance is of what you're talking about when you take the microphone. He has been interviewed and gives interviews. Go Google Phil Castellini and Reds. He's the one who told you last season that uh, when the Reds were trading players that you're not going to go anywhere as fans because what else are you going to do? Where else are you going to go? Now, this season, he uh, talked about the fact that uh, what can you expect from the Reds? They just designated Mike Moustakis. Remember when they signed just recently Moustakis and Nick Castellanos and they were signing all these guys to $64 million deals and there was a chance that there was going to be some success. In any case, he was begrudging what we have been talking about and giving actual words and saying the quiet part out loud. So once Rob Manford calls him, which he certainly did after this interview, small market owners and low revenue team presidents are not allowed to talk about the widening payroll gap, which MLB knows exists, because Rob does not want any attention brought to the reality that makes it so there's more teams than ever who don't have a chance to win before spring training. Bud Selig, the former commissioner, his whole gig with revenue sharing and the whole reason he added a wild card, everything he did was to make sure that all teams had hope going into spring training because his view, like James Earl Jones, happy 92nd birthday yesterday, is that hope is the greatest. That's also from Shawshank Redemption. That hope is what everybody wants, the rebirth of spring. Do you remember we talked about Steve Cohn and the Mets and their payroll? And we explained to you that there could be reasons other than what you think that the Mets did not sign Correa, that the Dodgers, when their payroll was so far number one, or the Yankees, when they had the number one payroll in baseball, the biggest problem that the commissioners had with those high payrolls was publicly, they would say teams with low payrolls, teams who are tanking, teams rebuilding, not retooling, but rebuilding their fan base. What are they cheering for? But that's not the real reason why commissioners and why team owners have an issue. 
it's not really about you as a fan having hope, unfortunately. MLB doesn't spend its time trying to fix this for you. The reason why they try to fix it is to keep peace amongst the owners. It's to keep unity amongst the owners. It's to make sure there's never a voting block of eight owners who take a position on something that is against what the other 22 owners want or specifically what the commissioner wants. It's all politics, baby. It's all about making sure that when you're negotiating a collective bargaining agreement or when you're figuring out how you're gonna allocate certain funds or distribute certain funds or have only certain teams part of the national broadcast schedule, not all teams, which is what all owners want. They wanna be on national TV, but it's always the Yankees and the Red Sox or the Mets. You are spending your time making sure that owners are not airing those grievances publicly only because you wanna make sure the owners aren't actually feeling it privately. So when Phil Castellini goes out and talks about the fact that the Reds have no hope, that the fans have no hope, the phone call goes into him and says, listen, number one, don't talk that way. Number two, why would you say that? Let's talk about the four teams with low payrolls that win every single year and make the playoffs. Let's talk about the fact that the way your baseball operations is run and the signings that you've done just simply haven't worked. It would be like the Marlins complaining, hey, we haven't made the playoffs or finished 500 because of the Yankees payroll or the Dodgers payroll. That's absolutely incorrect. We just spent the money that we have to spend incorrectly. We signed the players who we thought would help us win and they didn't. So when owners are out there talking or presidents are out there talking about the fact that they can't compete, what they're really saying is that we're not good enough to compete because we're not smart enough and our front office isn't good enough. So how does MLB fix that? MLB tells you, get better baseball people. Get your owner not telling your baseball people what to do. Tell your owner to stop meddling. <laughs> I know you hate it as a fan and I feel for you, I really do. But on the other hand, that's your choice. The majority of teams in every sport have periods of winning and periods of losing. Everybody who has a period of losing is upset and wants to get to the winning. Except by definition, when you have a league of 30 teams or 32 teams, every single week, half of you are going to lose. Every single season, half of you are going to have losing seasons. That's just how it goes. How do you not know that you are participating in something where your likelihood of feeling good at the end is only 3%? What else do you do in your life where you give up your emotions, you give up your time, you give up your energy where the payoff is negative at the end almost assuredly? Which is why if you're gonna be a sports fan, you have to adjust your frame of happiness, your frame of being content or satisfaction. So are you gonna bear it down just to, hey, let me have a chance going into spring training. If we have a bad April, I'll survive the last five months. Let me believe that my football team can compete to be the seventh wild card. And if we go six and 11, we go six and 11, I'll still be okay. How come no one says that ever? How do you win running a team when you've got a fan base where you're guaranteed, you've got a customer base? Can you imagine running a business where you're gonna disappoint your customers over 90% of the time? 
That's not a sustainable business. It wouldn't even work. Hey, we have Amazon and nine out of 10 packages are gonna come wet with your stuff inside broken and it'll be the wrong stuff. But you'll keep coming back for more, won't you? No, they'd be out of business. We're set up to fail in sports. They say baseball is a game of failure. Sports is an industry of failure. Don't be despondent. Can we go back to Scott Boris for one second here, please, Coca? I touched on it just in the last segment. Scott Boris gave another interview. He is in total damage control mode, trying to make sure that future players who he wants to poach, who are have other agents as clients, or young kids whose parents are deciding which agents they should go with, wants to make sure that the Carlos Correa situation was a victory for Boris, not a loss needs to make sure that people understand that it was the Mets' fault and the Giants' fault, not Correa and certainly not Boris. So he's giving this interview and he says something pretty good. He said, I don't understand the Mets. I gave them all the information. We had them talk to four doctors. Spoiler alert, we never talked to any doctors given to us by the agent. Don't care. They knew the issue the Giants had and yet they called the same doctor the Giants used for his opinion. There was no new information. Why negotiate a contract if you're gonna rely on the same doctor? It was different with the Giants because the doctor had an opinion they didn't know about, but the Mets had notice. They knew the opinion of the Giants. So why did you negotiate when you know this in advance? One of the ways I wanna build credibility with you is when I tell you that you think I have a personal issue with Scott Boris and I don't. I just try to point out when he is completely full of it, which just happens to be the majority of the time. But in this case, he's 100% correct. The number of times that I used a team doctor for another team to get an opinion on a free agent, wait for it, let me think about it. Dun, 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 zero. That's the number of times. I had doctors, University of Miami, Dr. Lee Kaplan, great doctors in Montreal, I was with the Expos, great hospitals, great specialists. You got a wrist, we got a wrist guy. Hand, we got a hand guy. Knee, we got a knee guy. Shoulder, no problem. Elbow, hell yeah. Head, nah, we could use some more psychologists. We don't need to go to other team doctors. Why do you think when the Mets did their physical, they went to the Giants doctor? Because they wanted to know what the Giants doctor had to say about why the Giants failed? Do you know that they hide behind HIPAA by saying, oh, we we can't talk about that? Do you know there's HIPAA violations every single day in baseball where you have GMs or presidents calling other GMs or presidents saying, hey, what's going on with your guy? What happened? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Sometimes you lie for competitive advantage. Sometimes you tell the truth. You think the Giants didn't want the Mets to sign Correa? What do they care? You think the Giants look good because the Mets also failed them like it validated them? Mm, Maybe that could be the case. Maybe the Giants called up the Mets and said, you gotta talk to our doctor. You're never gonna sign him if you talk to our doctor. But Steve Cohn should have said, I don't need to talk to your doctor. I have my own doctors. And by the way, he's the missing piece to our World Series championship puzzle. We're gonna take Correa. If he gets hurt in five years, he gets hurt in five years. What do I care? We'll write it off. But we'll have our World Series because he's the missing piece. I gave you a theory a week ago that you don't wanna believe. 
that Major League Baseball and other owners were so angry with the signing of Correa and the Mets payroll going into the stratosphere that they made sure that Correa was not going to be a Met. Nobody wants to say it, but think about what Scott Boris said. What if it's true? What if the Mets did use the Giants doctor and that was the reason that they passed on the signing of Correa? It's ridiculous. Of course, that's not the reason. Did they think by calling the Giants doctor, they'd get a different answer? Or did they want the Giants doctor to convince their own team doctor that what the Giants doctor thought was true was actually not true, but was only true for the Giants, but not true for the Mets? As a team executive, I'm not paying attention to what another team doctor says. There's total agenda, which means that's not what happened. But it is what they told Scott happened. I believe you, Scott, but you don't actually believe that's why the Mets didn't sign Correa because of the Giants team doctor? Don't be ridiculous. Nothing personal pick of the day. You know, betting the NBA is difficult, and I, I grant you that. We had the Nets giving six to San Antonio, and then Kyrie Irving decided not to play, and then the line went to two, but I'm still taking the loss because the Nets lost the whole game. The Spurs, who have won 13 games all year, won their 14th game against the Nets at home. We are 7-10. and 10. I will take that loss. About a year and a half ago, I did a wait to see on Luka Doncic and Trey Young, and I told you that the Mavericks were going to win a title before the Atlanta Hawks. I'm worried about that wait to see, not because I think the Hawks are going to win a title before the Mavericks, because I don't. I'm just not sure either one of them are going to win a title. Talk about ego. So Luca's Mavs are playing the Hawks. They're three and a half point favorites over the Hawks. Luca's better than Trey. Pay attention to the season he's having. We're taking Mavs three and a half over the Hawks. All right, something happened in Chicago a couple weeks ago, and I want to end the show by asking you to consider this. We still have a few minutes left, don't worry. There's a university called Concordia University in Chicago, and there's a basketball coach and their team was on the road and their basketball coach said, hey, uh, you all broke curfew. And his name is Steve Collar. And all the players broke curfew. Some of the players broke curfew. They're college players. Of course, they're gonna break curfew. They wanna go out. They wanna have fun. They want to do stuff. So the next day at practice, this coach decided I'll show these players how angry I am I'm gonna run them into the ground. At which point six players were put into the hospital. Six players hospitalized, the coach suspended, the game not played, because all the players were in the hospital. And the problem was the practice. About 30 years ago, fewer, 25 years ago, I ran track in high school and we had a coach where we had a very simple rule and it was twice a week out of the five days of practice. Twice a week practice would not end for you, for me personally, it would end at different times for different people. You had to show the coach that you were vomiting. And I don't mean like pretend vomiting. I don't mean gagging or dry heaving. I don't mean sticking your finger down your throat. I mean that he would run us until we got sick. I'm not sure many parents at Horace Mann cared about that. I'm not sure very many knew about it because it really wasn't a big deal back then. 
You want to be on a varsity team? You want to be good? You want to win? You're going to work until you're sick, and then you can get off the track. Times have changed a little bit where we are babying our players a little bit more. We don't want there to be any sickness, any problems. There have been examples of football players getting sick and dropping dead because of the practices that are taking place, the heat stroke, the lack of hydration. You've read stories about that. I was deciding whether or not my view is that it's okay to have a practice where players get sick, but you don't want them to die. It's okay to have a practice where players end up in the hospital. And I came to the following conclusion. What happened to me back in those days in the 80s was not okay. It is not right to tell your players that their punishment for any off-court activity or their only way to get better and to win is to drive your body to the point of sickness. It's just college sports. It's just pro sports. It's just high school. There is no reason to drive a player into sickness because it doesn't make the player better. It doesn't motivate the player. They do all these montages right on TV, in movies. I just said right again, God dang it. They do these montages where everybody's working until and they show, they cut to the money shot, which is everybody keeled over, everybody holding their hips, gasping for air. But in real life, if you've got six players in the hospital, how is it that you keep your job? But he's keeping his job. But yesterday, the athletic trainers for Concordia University walked out and resigned en masse. They did not want to be associated with a program that valued winning or that valued the possibility of winning or that valued the possibility of inflicting your power onto your players and manifesting it through the type of practices that result in hospitalization. They don't want to be associated with the possibility of a player dropping during a practice and passing away. The president of Concordia University, how is it that they do not fire that coach. This is not about players being soft today. This is not about players' ego. This is about having a healthy understanding of the role that sports should play in our society. And we have it totally screwed up because the role that we have for sports teams, it's, it's, it's like their platform is bigger than anybody. It's like they're the most important people winning. When you're on college campuses, you want to make sure you have a good program because it helps attract endowment and people and money and students. So sports has become the anchor tenant in a strip mall of crap. Here's the better idea. Why not make sports what it's always been on the college campus, the professional ranks, make it a business. How do you make it just a business? You make sure that you're treating your customers, call back to the beginning of this show, who are your fans, your product, who are your players, in a way that enables them to continue doing the things that are necessary for your business to keep bringing in money, to keep making money, to keep customers satisfied and happy. If you are in a position where your trainers are quitting or you've got sponsors walking away, and this goes from practice, this goes to 
at the way owners can act, where limited partners want to leave, like Daniel Snyder, where owners are forced to sell because of their behavior toward women. It's all under the same umbrella where actions that you are taking are no longer serving the grander purpose. If everyone would just remember from the beginning that it's just business, then we wouldn't have to discuss things that are nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.